This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, September 11th. And now, please rise for the singing of our episode 109 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott, and I'm not joined by Paul this week. A special fill-in co-host, our favorite listener, David from Chicago, in studio with us. David, welcome. Peter, thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listening. Episode 109. Are we going to call it the David episode? Or 9-11. Oh. It's good to be here as a longtime listener. Yes. It's a little bit like a dream fulfilled. Yeah, well, the context, uh, Paul's on single dad duty this week. Mm, it's tough. This weekend, so that's, and you're in town for the Illinois football game. Right, no kids. Recording this on Saturday. But you're also a big 9-11 truther. So we thought on the 9-11 podcast, <laughs> why not have David fill in, right? So I'm gonna you, have, you have the platform, what really happened? I'm going to immediately step away from that <laughs> accusation. Uh, I'm not a 9-11 truther. In case any future employers and or voters in a presidential election hear this, <laughs> it is not true. Fake news. And uh, we can move on. Yes. Uh, we uh, we honor the memory of the 9-11 victims. Yep. The man with the red bandana. Oh, yeah. I'll tweet that out. That's yep. like my favorite, every, that's my every favorite year. ESPN short little video. All right. Well, uh, intro to this week's podcast. It's a special one. Perhaps the best uh, in our three-year history. So David and I are going to do a few segments together, uh, going to get to the bottom of a few baseball hot-button controversies. Uh, Paul has a recap of our last summer flick with Matt from Minnesota. We watched Pride of the Yankees this past week, so you'll hear from Paul a little bit. He, he uh, interviewed Matt about that movie. And then lastly, big-time interview, oh. Sammy Bodine, uh, also known as Jeff Corbett in real life. He is the pitcher in Talent for the Game, movie we watched last week with David. I'm so excited to hear this interview. So we're going to ask him some questions about the 1991 classic that he was the star of, uh, and also just some questions about what it was like to be in a baseball movie. Getting it from the source, how often can you do that? It's going to be a huge honor to listen to. Uh, Just grateful that he agreed to come on. Yes. Uh, Before we get into some uh, general baseball banter, uh, Arnelli... Fun fact this week, he wasn't in the news at all. When I Googled him, nothing new came up. So, David, uh, I thought we could just discuss your favorite Nelly pop culture, uh, either a song or like a a movie, TV show that you've been in that you've enjoyed. I was thinking about it. Nelly was in the remake of The Longest Yard. He played the running back, Megget. Chris Berman famously looked that right, Megget Run. So it got me thinking, Peter, what's your favorite Adam Sandler movie? Ooh, that's a great question. He hasn't been in anything good for a long time. We're going to disagree, I know. So, Are you a, um, what's the one with Kevin James? Yep. I'm a huge Grown Ups fan. Grown up. <laughs> Gigantic Grown Ups fan. As, as like, it's so bad it's good? Uh, it's just straight up good. Like, there's nothing really both bad about it. Yes, both of them. Grown Ups 2, though, 
is Adam Sandler's best movie. They're single digit on Rotten Tomato, which is pretty rare. If you look at the difference between the audience score and the critic score, it is an ocean that is dividing them. It yeah. is wild how much the people loved it. Look at the box office. I mean, the numbers are there. <laughs> yep. Uh, I was a Mr. Deeds fan. Ooh, okay. Big fan of that one. Uh, the one where he has like, the girl has amnesia. Uh, 50 First Dates. Oh, okay. Uh, that was that's a pleasant watch. I thought you were gonna say Click. No, oh, big fan of Click as well. Really, very sad movie. I was gonna say it got a little too serious for me. Yeah, when the dad, when he's like a jerk to his dad, that borderline tears. Yeah, it was it was a rough watch. Like Marley and Me, just as bad. All right, let's get into baseball. Uh, first up, just want to address elephant in the room, the Dodgers curse. Yeah, it's real. Uh, big time for our podcast. Couldn't have played out better. Uh, we didn't talk about them the entire year, even though they were on a, a record-breaking pace. We devoted an entire episode to them, and they've gone one and twelve since then. They're still ninety-two and forty-nine. Uh, Twenty game, or twenty-one games left as we're recording this. David, uh, do they get to hundred wins? Yes, they would have to. It'd be maybe one of the worst months ever for a team that good yeah. if they don't get to 100 wins. So I think they get to 100 wins. I think it's really the case of when you're that many games ahead and it's this late in the season, you really just don't care. We just got to gear up and stay healthy towards the playoffs. Which, And you see it more, I think, in the NFL than the NBA. Uh, It can really come back to bite teams because all it takes is one or two games and then you might be out. So they need to start ramping it back up. But the, the curse is certainly real. Congrats yeah. to you guys for cursing an entire team. <laughs> Thanks to uh, uh, listener Michael for uh, really hyping yeah. that up on the Twitter. But your check's in the mail. <laughs> so I was looking last night for a blog post, which I'm still blogging every day. Okay. Uh, what percentage of, of my blog posts do you think you've read this year? I've read a lot, actually. <laughs> I'll like, I, I might not read them. I'll at least click on them to see what they're about. Look at the pictures. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at the uh, last five years worth of World Series teams, so the last 10 teams to make the World Series, Okay. their records in September, and I was surprised that they were as good as they were. So it was a 590 winning percentage total, Wow. which uh, would be like in the top five in baseball for a whole season this year. But the 2015 Royals were the only team that was under 500 in September, and they were, wow. they were 14 and 17, so pretty close. Cubs and Indians last year, for instance, were both 18 and 11. Uh, so, you know, of course, there's going to be some correlation. Good teams make the World Series. Good teams play well in any month. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, September records matter a little bit more than people want to give them credit for. Yep. Um, so the Do- I know the Dodgers streak started in late August, but um, they might be winless in September so far. So... Uh, They'll need to go on a on a streak to end to to be above five hundred. The next thing I wanted to discuss is the big Red Sox Yankees oh, Apple Watch fiasco. Juicy. Uh, you don't have an Apple Watch, do you? I do not. Do you? I don't, and I don't think many people do. Right? I think. I mean, I see a lot of them around my building really? at work. Yeah, I think it's surprising number. Really? But maybe that's just the demo I'm around. So, what's for an Apple Watch user? What's What's like the benefit of having one? You can, you can like read text on it. Is that the thing? Uh, I think it just looks cool. So that's like I mean, there's no like added. I, I think technically, function. like you can like count your steps, and there's like some fitness stuff that goes into it. But like, 
besides that, I think really it's just like a status thing. That's how I perceive it. Yeah. Well, the Red Sox found a use for it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Over did. the past couple of weeks, uh, it's been verified by, I guess, I think the Red Sox have admitted to it now. Oh, yeah, they did. A trainer with an Apple Watch uh, would get like what pitch it was going to be yep. on his Apple Watch from mm-hmm. someone else, maybe watching like on TV or in the outfield or something. And then the trainer would relay that message to another player in the dugout who would then relay it to the batter. Yep. And uh, the Yankees caught them doing it. It's uh, My favorite part of this is that the uh, Yankees have like beat the Red Sox so yeah. this year. So even with the cheating, uh, the Yankees have still been better. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's, your, what's your take? Obviously, there isn't a rule against using Apple Watches to like spy on your opponent. And getting into like the stealing of signs is kind of a... It, it divides baseball fans a little bit because yeah. there are the purists who, oh, maybe not purists, but the people who think, oh, if you can steal it, then go ahead. It's kind of like you're right. There mm-hmm. are some people who think, oh, that's cheap. You don't, you shouldn't need that to win. Uh, I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with this. I just think it leads down a bad path. Yeah. So as, it's not like a law that they broke, but it's like a moral ambiguity that they're kind of breaking. Yep. My general stance is anything baseball related that can get like thousands of retweets is uh, is good for baseball. And so there's there are so many tweets that like went viral, mm-hmm. people making jokes about this. There's people saying that they should have to forfeit like all their wins against the Yankees this year, which of course that's is, a bit far. Yeah, uh, kind of ridiculous. Are they going to get penalized though? I don't think any like actual, maybe like a a fine or something. But. I feel like. There has to be some penalty for this. Like, yeah. if you if baseball isn't going to okay it, if they're going to say it's wrong, then there has to be a penalty for it. Yeah. Like a draft pick, maybe? Yeah. So the, the Patriots had to give up a first-round draft pick for the yeah. Super Bowl cheating thing? And would the Cardinals have to give up? Uh, draft picks, I think. And that was that illegal? Is it technically illegal to yeah, steal in, other teams' information? Uh, well, he's in prison, so... I mean... I don't know what his defense was, but maybe yeah. it wasn't. St- I need more. Strong. I need more prison update stories from Correa's last name. Do you think? I think in the future there are, they need to amend some laws based on technology because yeah. after this, the Red Sox came back to the Yankees and they said that the Yankees were using yes cameras mm-hmm. on the Red Sox to steal signs, which is like the classic when you're a kid and like you're in huge trouble with your parents. You like throw your sibling under the bus <laughs> to like lighten your load. That's exactly what they're doing. And or at work, if it's like, hey, you're not doing a good job. It's like, yeah. Well, Chuck's <laughs> not doing a good job either. Right. You just it's like a very feeble attempt at like getting out of it. Mm-hmm. But there has to be some sort of like technology thing here. And yeah. I don't know if you saw this. Roger Goodell said he's not a football expert. If Rob Manfred isn't a baseball expert, then maybe we need an expert in there to yeah. make this new rule. So, yeah, sh- shockingly, Manfred uh, out? <laughs> shockingly, uh, C-League didn't uh, usher the game into a technological era. Yeah. Didn't leave it the, the rule book good for uh, Manfred. Do you think that Bud Seeley listens to AM radio? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. Still never sent an email, which is Probably doesn't know FM exists. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, the other story I wanted to discuss was the Keith Olbermann sunflower seed yeah. debacle. So, uh, leader of the resistance, hmm. 
Trump resistance on, on Twitter. His Twitter is, Oberman's Twitter is the worst because he like tweets the same video like 80 times. Yeah. I know this because I had to look for the Sunflower Seed tweet and it took me like five minutes. Uh, so he tweets out when he's watching some random like Rockies Giants game. Uh, Mark Reynolds, Rockies first baseman, is uh, has a bag of like Sunflower Seeds. Full bag, right? Yes. Yeah. That he's like putting in his mouth and Oberman thinks he's being funny and says, you know, am I seeing this right? Someone's eating during a baseball game? Like, what the heck? And then the mentions on that tweet were fantastic because people just... Ooh, yeah point out that there are sunflower seeds and like every baseball player ever has done the same thing uh so i don't want to trash olberman because whatever we all send bad tweets sometimes. wait was he kidding like, uh, was he? did he follow that up with like that was a joke guys like no i think uh he's self-aware so i think he knew he made a mistake but he's still saying like oh the ball's in play he shouldn't be mm, yeah he should you know have him in before the inning or something I wanted to discuss your sunflower seed habits. Yeah. Uh, did you enjoy them when you played? Uh, have they transitioned into a snack now post-playing career for you? I would never eat seeds outside of baseball. I was never one of those guys who could do it like during the game. Uh, if I was on the bench, like not really engaged, maybe I'd partake, but definitely not during. Funny story, I had a friend who, I think we were in eighth grade, when we move up to 90 feet base paths, yeah, it's a pretty big jump, Yeah, and he was on first base. And he's stealing second and like halfway to second, he doesn't like fall. He just like slows down and kind of like puts his hands on his knees just in the middle of the base path. Is he choking? Thrown out by a mile. Gets tagged, comes back to the guy. We're all dying laughter because it was hilarious. Yep, comes back immediately. He's like, I was choking on a seed <laughs> just mid-steal. Oh, so man, the dangers are there. If you're a pro though, I guess maybe you're advanced well, it's one of baseball's many great strengths is mm-hmm. that you can snack on sunflower yeah. seeds while playing the game. Uh, so you, since you've played, you haven't, they're not, not like a road trip snack for you or anything like that? Nah, because I'm not, how do you get rid of the shells? Yeah. That's that's the big thing. And yeah. I, I don't like the people who are spitting into cups and there's, that's why I never dip. There's one road <laughs> There's one road trip probably in high school and... Uh, I was in the front seat, Paul was in the back seat, and I spit a bunch out the window, and they, the windows were down, so I came back in and pelted Paul in the face. So, Did you have any general baseball musings before we do uh, out of the box? It's been a rough week for me. I haven't been getting a lot of sleep. Been down a YouTube hole of Little League World Series. Oh, yes. Injuries, oh, yes. controversies, and fun plays. Yes. And it is deep rabbit hole to go down yes. to. I I blogged about crying video that yep. we sent each other. Yeah. Um, do you have like another favorite? What are what are the controversies you're looking into? Uh, some of them were like cheap shots that kids put onto each other. There's there's one about a pitcher who would like rub the back of his head, mm. and they were he, they were accusing him of. And this was like on Good Morning America or something. They were like, "Oh, controversy out of what's, what's America come to that little leaguers are cheating?" And... Yeah. I mean, Danny Almonte aside, mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty clean sport. Uh, but yeah, there's tons of content on YouTube, which is why I don't know if you do this. I'm awful at going to bed on like on yeah, time. Yeah. If it's like 1130, I'll be like, oh, YouTube, like a couple of videos and like go to bed. And then it'll be like 1230 and it'll be like the top 10 steals at the Lily World Series. <laughs> like, why am I watching this? But yeah. I'm going to watch it. it's a 10 minute video. Uh, so we had the Almonte age thing mm-hmm. and then the Jackie Robinson, I, which I didn't. 
that's a weak controversy because it's just kids that were from Chicago, but like not in the district or something. I mean, it's kind of like a, if you don't stop with the districts, then what's to stop like a Midwest all-star team? Yankee teams. It's true, but I, I didn't care all that much. I want the steroid controversy. Ooh. I want like a like twelve year old like masher yeah. who's just crushing balls, you know, pelting pitchers, right? And a, a guy that's clearly on roids, but everyone denies it. There's no drug <laughs> testing in the league. And then, I, then the eventual fallout would be epic because then everyone would turn on the parent. You know, how could you do this? But then we'd have all the video of the of the, the yeah. kid. I think if we had a child taking steroids, that would be like one of the top five sports stories of all time. Yep. It's like that Manti Teo's girlfriend, <laughs> quote unquote girlfriend, uh, Lance Armstrong. Well, I think Tiger's uh, Tiger. I mean, he he slept with so many women. Yeah, it was a lot. And then, it was substantial. <laughs> And then has been terrible since yep. then. Went from like the best golfer to the worst golfer. Yeah, there's like part of me that still thinks he's going to break the record for most major wins, but I, I don't think know. It's... Back, back's feeling better. <laughs> oh, is he back? I is Tiger back, Peter? I don't know. He's putting well. I think he is. Uh, so you're you're into Little League YouTube videos? Uh, just for now. It'll probably move on to, you know, like furthest NBA three pointers in like next <laughs> week or something. So, mm-hmm. uh, any anything else? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Okay. A quick uh, Trout and Harper update. Uh, Bryce played catch this past week. Oh, he, he, got, also, he got cornrows. He also got cornrows, but uh, it, was, it was short-lived. Ah. So when I first saw the picture of him in cornrows, you know, of course it looks awful. Mm-hmm. But if he kept them, I was going to respect him a little bit. Uh, but he got rid of them quick, so no respect for that move. If you're going to get cornrows and, like, promote it, then at least have them for a couple weeks. Yeah, it's a it's a tough hairstyle to pull off. It's really painful from what I've read. So I don't know why you would do Have it. Have you ever had cornrows? Uh, only yeah. once. So it's tough. Yeah, uh, but he's he's still not going to be back for a couple more weeks. Uh, Trout uh, had a decent week. His WAR update: uh, he's at six point Altuve is at seven point four. Uh, Altuve is hitting three fifty two. Uh, Altuve MVP in your mind? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the NL MVP, Giancarlo's been bad in September. I think opens the door for Vado or Goldschmidt. Is he still at 53? Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's letting us down. Uh, lastly, update on our favorite relief pitcher, uh, Dan Winkler of the Braves. Uh, seven innings pitched this year, nine strikeouts, just two runs, only six base runners in those seven innings. So uh, keep up the good work, Dan. We're all rooting for you. Yep, you got our support. Uh, he's only given up one homer this year uh, to the great Kyle Seeger, Corey's brother of the Mariners. Respectable. Uh, well, that does it for our opening segment. Uh, next up, out of the box. No Paul this week, so uh, David, why don't you kick us off for Out of the Box? Will do, Pete. Uh, My Out of the Box is an article from ESPN about how a window company in Ohio Mm. is giving away free windows and service if the Indians win 15 games. Which they have. Which they have. So apparently it could end up costing them around $1.7 million, Mm. which is a pretty hefty sum. Uh, 
my first thought was why 15? It would seem extremely like kind of out there just choose a random, but I guess it was the 15th anniversary of the company. Yep. So 15 games, fair. Uh, the CEO said that he paid an insurance policy on it, 75 grand, that in case it happened, they wouldn't have to pay any more. Yep. Genius move. Uh, I don't get how insurance works. Well, you pay it, and then if it doesn't happen... I know, but it's like... I, I don't understand how like they, the insurance company determined the rates on that. Like, uh, How would you determine yeah. how likely it is the, the Indians win 15 in a row? There's probably... They probably have stat crunchers that do that. It's like the sort. actuaries. Yeah, the, maybe. Actually, you could probably ask Paul. Yes. Does Paul Shout do out that? to the insurance industry, Paul. Yeah. Good luck on your upcoming insurance test. He's, yeah. He's studying hard. Oh, okay. Make sure we're all covered. It's a little insurance joke. Uh, so here's where it gets a little a little messy. So it's a Cleveland-based or Ohio-based insurance company. I was just doing some uh, research on it, and it looks like Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cavs, mm. has been doing some construction on the Quicken Loans Arena. Mm. From what I can tell, a lot of glass being used <laughs> in that, Peter. Uh, so who stands to gain from free window service? Dan Gilbert, he needs the Indians to win 15 games, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So who does he enlist? His top lieutenant, LeBron James. Mm. You might be asking yourself, well, how can LeBron control three other teams that the Indians are going to play? Mm. More, well, more uh, research. B- before we get to this, I know you've been a big serial kick lately. Is it cool? Oh, if, man. If, is it cool if I play the serial background music? Yeah, you can You can play that, and then I'll start trying to talk like serial. <laughs> so go ahead. Welcome back to Serial, a foot in the box edition. Season three. Season three. Insurance. Anyway, LeBron needs to get these teams to lose. So what connections does he have? The teams that the Indians have played, the White Sox, the Tigers, and the Royals, to get to 15. So the White Sox, you might recall that this offseason, Derrick Rose signed a pretty small contract with the Cavs. <laughs> Derek Rose, former Chicago Bull, good friends with White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf. Hmm. And Harold Baines. Hmm. Yeah, and Harold Baines. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Just a little. Yeah. A little interesting yeah. that mm. the White Sox would be the team that they win the fifteenth against. Yeah. Moving back, they played the Tigers. Swept the Tigers. I dug up an article from CBS that said that LeBron might have wanted the Pistons and the Cavaliers to switch owners. Hmm. So maybe he was floating that idea to some people in Detroit. You know, maybe they're connected. <laughs> lastly, and this one, I'll, I'll give you some credit. This one might not hold a lot of water. There's a tweet from 2013 about the Heat being in Kansas City. So I don't really know how that connects to the Royals. But, I mean, it's well, still I mean, there's no NBA team there. Right. What are they doing in Kansas oh, City? Oh, maybe, you know, they're talking expansion. Yeah. Maybe Kansas City? Yeah, if they you know throw some games. Well, uh, I feel like the Kyrie story, him traded. That was like a get get people talking about that. The Indians weren't doing well, right? An alibi. Yes, maybe that's the <laughs> alibi that they were needing. LeBron might be committing insurance fraud. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he did. I'm just saying. So Gilbert gets his free windows and uses LeBron. And yep. Mm. And why does Dan Gilbert need free windows? Because Dan Gilbert has paid like $160 million for the Cavs roster the past two years. Yeah, it's Tristan Thompson money. Yeah, $45 million luxury tax. So he wouldn't pay a, he wouldn't pay a GM a million dollars. 
So you think he doesn't <laughs> care about, you know, $1 million worth of windows? That's true. Think again. That's true. Uh, if it's as you say, I love it. To quote Don Jr. Maybe it is. <laughs> uh, my article, I can't top David's. Uh, I don't have an article, actually. My, my discussion topic, uh, I wanted to discuss how America would be viewing the MLB playoffs. So I feel like last year the Cubs really developed into mm-hmm. like America's team. Yep. You know, like a majority of people rooting for them to win the World Series. Uh, with the uh, flood in uh, yep. Houston, I was thinking yep. Astros. But the second hurricane and the more that are on their way, mm-hmm. I feel like that might lessen the focus on Houston. The the Marlins and the Rays aren't going to make the playoffs. No. Uh, but I just feel like the focus will be taken off Houston. So that kind of opens the door for other teams. So, uh, you know, the Indians have the longest drought. Yep. They're kind of a fun team. Uh, LeBron might be at some games again. You know, the Cubs uh, are a young team. Like, Baez is fun to watch. But I think there's some Cubs fatigue out there. Oh, for sure. You know, Madden's uh, shtick is kind of getting old. And then... No David Ross. No David Ross. Uh, grandpa. They call him Grandpa. Blackie's yeah. very unlikable. I don't know. They're just not, and they had the whole. Yeah. We're not going to the White House. We're going to the White House with Obama, and then they kind of stopped again with yeah. Trump. So that was, I feel like, kind of uh, angered both sides of the yeah. political arena. The Dodgers, L.A. That's kind of fun. They might get some sympathy with this losing streak. Mm-hmm. You've got the Nationals involved. So will Trump tweet about the MLB playoffs? Probably not. Will he? Will he attend a World Series game? Definitely not. If the Nationals make it. Definitely not. No. No. Uh, so what's what's your take? I th- I think that the Cubs fatigue is real. I think that if the Indians make it to probably the ALCS, then they'll be like the the big team that everyone follows. Just because the drought. Just because the drought, and because how they lost last year, how mm-hmm. the Cubs came back. I think that matters. Uh, I do. I I disagree with you. I, I think that the Houston thing will definitely be real because hmm. they have a lot of time to fill with like B roll, and so there are going to be a lot of flood shots. Yep. There are going to be a lot of guys on the team talking about, you know, how tough it is. Now they want to do it for the community. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the big story. So if they can, if if the Astros can make it, you know, maybe one or two rounds in, then I think they'll be the, the big draw. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably true. I think, yeah, Dodgers, Indians, World Series is probably what MLB is rooting for. Yeah. 9 11. You know, happened two thousand one. Mm-hmm. The Yankees made the World Series that right. year, so I should look back to see the coverage they got. They lost to the Diamondbacks. When did they play the Mets? Two thousand. When uh, yeah, the bat. When Roger threw the bat. <laughs> that no, that's a great YouTube. Yeah, that's a wormhole as well. He was no, you forget he he didn't throw. He was just <laughs> giving it back to them. Yeah, what is this bat doing? I'm gonna check it at the hitter. I kind of wish it would have like hit Piazza. Oh yeah. That's an understatement. I would pay money to have it hit Beyonce and see the brawl. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, Clemens getting brought up. A little teaser, a little foreshadowing from my Sounds of the Game segment. Oh, okay. I like that. All right. Well, that does it for Out of the Box. Next up, TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they put in TWTW, and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is? Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. Before we begin TWTW, David, which okay. you have prepared in Paul's absence for us, I'd like to address a major 
podcast controversy, yep. a lot of negative attention. I think you should. So I've written a formal statement. Okay. My responses to Paul's stats on this segment have caused some controversy and negative attention for our podcast. I'd like to clear that up today. I publicly apologize for my cynical and hostile tone towards Paul's TWTW segments over the past few weeks. Although I still think sprint, sprint speed is silly and exit velocity will never overtake OBP or war, I understand that I didn't communicate this in a healthy way. I hope to put these past few weeks behind us and move forward. I'd like to read, uh, as I close, the bio that I wrote for Paul when we started the podcast three years ago. You can find it on our website, Getting Back to Our Roots. It's somewhat of a miracle that I convinced Paul to do this website and podcast with me, so I'll avoid saying anything remotely negative in his bio. Paul is a White Sox fan. He is also an avid reader. His baseball career includes a great year in 2007 when he claims to have hit over 500 on our high school JV team. I'm always excited to hear and read his baseball thoughts, which tend to be more grounded than mine. Like me, Paul is a graduate of the University of Illinois although it did take him one semester longer than me, but who's counting? He also still lives in Champaign with his wife, Kate, and their son, Benson, now sons. After years of stubborn boycotting, Paul finally joined Twitter in 2014, so go follow him. So there you go. My public apology to the uh, Twitter haters out there. I promise to be more, I guess, sympathetic towards Paul's mm. TW. TW segments, uh, and if I have a criticism, I will say it in a more constructive manner. Uh, I have learned the error of my ways. Wow, that was very big of you, Peter. Thank you. As Thank you. Paul's uh, fill-in, I'd like to accept the apology as Paul, mm. and so that we can move on and get past. I appreciate this. that. I appreciate that. Uh, so, in Paul's absence, what stat are you bringing? To Funny the you ask, Peter. I really wanted to bring, I think that sometimes we get so deep into the numbers, we forget about just the good old simple stats. Nice. This week, our stat is hits. <laughs> now, how would you define a hit? When you asked that, Peter, I looked on Wikipedia. A hit is credited to a batter when the batter safely reaches first base, or any base, after hitting the ball into fair territory without the benefit of an error or fielder's choice. Hmm. Some would say that hits are the most important offensive stat. Some might say that, yes. Second, exit velocity. Yes. Third, sprint speed. Third sprint How speed. fast you run one time for a split all second. All right, let's, <laughs> let me just add the apology. Let's see his back. Uh, all-time hits leader. Do you know it? Oh, Pistol Pete. Pete Rose, the great. Ty Cobb second. 4,256. Crazy amount of hits. Oh, that's so many hits. Pete Rose YouTube is also a great YouTube. Yeah, he was he was a wild one. It was kind of Pete Rose's hit record is kind of like Pele's goal record. I don't know if you know anything about this, but Pele counts like goals that he like scored at recess as like <laughs> part of his career like goals. So he has like fifteen hundred goals, something ridiculous like that. Nice. Um, who leads this year? Do you know? Uh, I'd guess Altuve. Charlie Blackman. Oh, yeah. So there's a little fun fact. And I I wrote this down. Uh, hits are a good way of gauging who is good at baseball. So <laughs> if you can get the hits, then you'll be probably a better player than the players who can't mm. get the hits. So you're saying there's a strong correlation there? Uh, yes. I, I'm going to need to do more uh, more research to know if there's actually causation. But Do you think the war formula, you know, it's kind of complicated. No one really knows it. Do you think 
hits is inserted in there anywhere? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's like in one of the formulas that's in war. So I don't know if we can really consider a player great unless they have a lot of hits. Mm. Are pitchers really good? Who's to say? They don't have a lot of hits. Yeah, it's true. Except Mike Hampton. Yeah. <laughs> You're a big Hampton hitter fan. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that was great. Great filling role. Uh, I think I you know who would appreciate that one? Hawk. Yes. Hawk would love that one. So yeah. that one was for Hawk. Yes. That's the wheel to win. Uh I realized the error of my ways, you know, on that on that segment with Brian Kenny, which we play mm, every week. Yeah, uh, Brian Kenny responds much like I do. Yeah, uh, you know, he's he's not a believer in TWTW, yep. and I realized that I was acting too much like Brian Kenny. He's just a little little hot takey. So, oh, yeah. I apologize, Paul, and I hope uh, we can seek reconciliation going forward. Right. All right. Well, that does it for TWTW. Next, uh, a special steroid edition of Sounds of the Game. This crowd, of course, will be all over Chan Ho Park and any other Dodger pitcher if they feel that they are pitching around Bond. The 1-0 pitch on the way. The fastball hit into deep right center field. It is a way out and gone. There it is, number 71. So Barry Bonds, for those of you on radio, being greeted at home plate by his entire ball club. An absolutely phenomenal record that lasted all of three years. And Barry holding up his young son as he walks away from home plate, getting hugs from the boy, and returning them likewise, holding the index finger of his right hand high in the clip you just heard was Vin Scully calling the late great steroid Barry Bonds hitting his 71st home run uh, to break McGuire's record of 70. And I think record 72 now. Uh, I need, 70, I need, to, remember, I I need to internalize this going forward. Yeah. I think Paul said 72 last week. It was 73. But it doesn't matter because it didn't happen. No. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, that was Vin calling Bonds, and I thought of it because I was looking recently when Bonds had his last homer, uh, and that was this past week in 2007. So Bonds was 43 years old in 2007, hit his last home run on September 5th, played his last game on September 26th, and growing up, I remember him not getting signed the next year. Yep. Like he wanted to play somewhere, mm-hmm. but the whole steroid thing uh, seemed like there was some collusion amongst the owners not to sign him. And this was confirmed when I looked at his stats for 2007. So in 126 games that year, he had a 480 on base percentage and a 565 slugging percentage. Uh, That on base would be first in all of baseball had he been playing this year. And that slugging would rank 12th overall. So you've got the, one of the best hitters in all of baseball, uh, and he couldn't get a contract the next year. So kind of bogus. Yep. I read an article on ESPN about the guy who caught Barry Bonds' last homer. It wasn't uh, the, the home run guy, Zach? It wasn't Zach Hamill. It wasn't, fa- it wasn't foul ball guy. <laughs> uh, the guy who caught it, he caught it in like early in the month. 
Um, Cut. So the seventy first or no, the... his Bond's last homer. Oh, and yeah. so like the highest number of his career. Yes. So he didn't think that it was like anything special because uh, there's like a month left to play. Yeah. Bonds ended up getting hurt. He didn't play the rest of the year. And then, of course, you thought he was going to get re-signed the next season, but mm-hmm. didn't. The guy who caught it, like, just threw it in his closet, like, mm-hmm. didn't think anything of it. Usually, MLB will, and I found this interesting, when there's, like, a historic event that's about to happen, they'll use special balls so that they can, like... Hmm. Authenticate it? Yeah, track them and make sure that those are the right ones. They didn't do that with this ball. Hmm. So they had to, like, go through some steps to validate that that was the actual ball. Use like, uh, the film... From that day to make sure it was hmm. like the right guy and uh it was kind of did he sell it i think he did end up selling it uh or he did and it was was valued at like seven figures wow because it was considered like one of the i mean it's like the highest homer ever wow it's so but again didn't happen so hmm. it's not worth anything <laughs> uh so this week's on the game uh, with a Bonds steroid theme, uh, going to play uh, clips of different players admitting to taking steroids. I always find these uh, press conferences or interviews uh, pretty great in uh, retrospect. So uh, we got Big Mac, Andy Pettit, uh, A-Rod, and I threw in Pete Rose for gambling because <laughs> that Jim Gray interview is yeah. the best. Uh, Jim Gray, uh, he's back on the scene. He did the... Uh, the Mayweather uh, McGregor. McGregor fight. Did you watch that? Uh, I didn't. You didn't watch? No. Oh man. Uh, yeah. So he's back. Apparently, he does boxing interviews now. But uh, uh, Big Mac, Pettit, A Rod, Pete Rose, and then after the clips, we've got our two interviews. Paul is on this week's podcast with Matt from Minnesota to talk about our uh, third and final summer flicks, part of the Yankees, and then uh, to end the podcast, we have our interview with. Jeff Corbett, actor that played Sammy Godin mm. in Talent for the Game. He had a series of injuries, early 90s to the mid-90s, and in your statement today, you indicated that that was at least part of the reason why you first used steroids. Yeah. But then I would guess that the performance-enhancing aspects became evident, and even once healthy, you continued because it helped you perform, right? Well, no, no. No? I, I, I did it on, on uh, health purposes. I mean, uh, if you look at uh, my career and. Uh, injured 93, 94, 95, 96. I was a walking uh, mash unit. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I told my my dad yesterday when I finally had to tell him about this. Uh, uh, I remember calling him in 96. Uh, I was uh, so frustrated with injuries. Uh, I, I wanted to retire. So... Um, he's the one that told me to stick it out, and at that time I was, yeah, I was using steroids, thinking it was going to help me, and help me. It was brought to my attention that it was going to help me heal faster, make my body feel back to normal. I mean, I was a walking mash unit. It, it doesn't feel good when you have teammates and people walking by saying he's injured again. You know, uh, you know. I, I mean, I knew I was talented. I knew the man upstairs gave me the ability to, to hit this baseball, gave me the hand-eye coordination, gave me, my parents gave me the great genetics. But I was running these roadblocks and uh, by something I very muchly regret. 
as you I said started your using statement. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it's just. I want to apologize to the New York Yankees and to the Houston Astros organizations and to their fans and to all my teammates and to all of baseball fans for the embarrassment I have caused them. I also want to tell anyone that is an Andy Pettit fan, I am sorry, especially any kids that might look up to me. Again, like I said before, I never took this to get an edge on anyone. I did this to try to get off the DL and to do my job. And again for that, I am sorry for the mistakes I've made. I have been put in a situation that I think no one should ever be put in. Being put in the middle of a situation between two men I have known for a long time has been a very difficult time for me over the last couple of months. I have never tried to take sides in Roger and Mac's situation, but I've only been honest. Roger has been one of my closest friends in baseball over the last nine years. He has taught me more about pitching than I ever could have imagined. Mac has pushed me in my workouts harder than anyone I've ever worked with. I have been friends with Roger and Mac for a long time and hopefully will continue to be friends after this. Alex, this weekend Sports Illustrated reported that, uh, that in 2003 you tested positive for testosterone and an anabolic steroid known as Primobolin. What's the truth? When I arrived in Texas in 2001, uh, I felt uh, an enormous amount of pressure. I felt like I had all the weight of, of the world on top of me, and I needed to perform, and perform at a high level every day. Um, back then, it was a different culture. Um, it was very loose. Uh, I was young. I was stupid. Um, I was naive. And, and I wanted to prove to everyone that, you know, I was worth, um, you know, and being one of the greatest players uh, of, of, of all time and uh, I did I did take a banned substance and um, you know for that uh, I'm very sorry and deeply regretful and although it was a culture back then and uh, and in Major League Baseball overall um, was very I'm just I just feel that um, you know, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry for that time. I'm sorry to my fans. Uh, I'm sorry for my fans in Texas. It wasn't until then that I ever thought about substance uh, of any kind. Um, and since then, I've proved uh, to myself and to everyone that I don't need any of that. So you're saying that the time period was 2001, 2, and 3? Mm, that's pretty accurate, yes. And what, what kind of substances were you taking? Peter, that's the thing. I mean, again, it was such a, a loosey-goosey era that that's, I'm guilty for a lot of things. I'm guilty for being negligent, naive, uh, not asking all the right questions. And uh, uh, to be quite honest, I, I don't know exactly what um, substance I was, I was guilty of using. Here again, Charles Gibson. A little over 14 years ago, Pete Rose made what is no doubt the worst bet of his life, that he'd never have to tell the truth about his gambling. 
Now, as you've probably heard, he has confessed, finally admitting that he bet on baseball and on his own team. But is his confession enough? After years of lies and denials about the gambling that caused his lifetime banishment from the game he loves, that led to the exile he calls My Prison Without Bars in a new book, should we start believing him? You decide. Rule 21 in baseball, subsection D. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Any player, umpire, or club, or league official or employee who shall bet any sum whatsoever upon any baseball game in connection with which the better has a duty to perform shall be declared permanently ineligible. Permanently ineligible. That's posted in every clubhouse in baseball, isn't it? A lot of players don't, 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 don't pay much attention to the fine print. But that's not fine print. That's not well, infield fly rule. That's not... It's not as big as you... It's not when a game like becomes official and whatever. That's the most important rule. That's the rule that goes to the integrity and to the authenticity of the game. So, so why would you violate it? Well, I wish I could answer that question, but I just can't. I was wrong. I just stupid. Worst thing I ever did in my life. You say in the I've had to live with that for 14 years too, Charlie. Joined now on the podcast by listener Matt from Minnesota to talk about our third and final installment of Foot in the Box Summer Flicks. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on again. So as I mentioned, uh, third and final installment, it's kind of bittersweet, but I would say Pride of the Yankees was definitely my favorite this year. I had seen um, Field of Dreams, and, and then the movie we watched last week isn't worth talking about again. Um, but what were kind of some of your general <laughs> thoughts about Part of the Yankees. Uh, Do you like it? Um, it you, you hadn't seen it before, correct? I had not seen it before. I did actually, when I did uh, the Foot in the Box and Reflect last year, I used the same method of let's look on IMDb, find the highest rating, and just go with that. And hmm. uh, so that resulted last year in um, their own. But this year, Part of the Yankees, I also um, I was nicknamed in college Grandpa. And so a black and white movie with Gary Cooper just made a lot of sense. And I actually knew Gary Cooper already from my other favorite movies uh, called High Noon, which I would highly recommend if you haven't seen yet. It's only like a like minute movie, but uh, really, really good. But yeah, Gary Cooper is great. Um, he's kind of the Tom Hanks of the uh, early, you know, the 1930s and 40s of just a good guy every time. Very similar to Jimmy Stewart. Um, so it was, it was news to me that uh, Lou Gehrig was the same way. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe I should have given a little bit of context. If you haven't seen Part of the Yankees, uh, the movie came out in 1942, and it uh, it chronicles the life of uh, Yankee great Lou Gehrig. So Gary Cooper plays the role of uh, Lou Gehrig, and he does quite well. I actually read a quote, and I tweeted it out during the movie, that uh, Lou Gehrig's wife said that it was essentially a spitting image of, of Lou Gehrig. She didn't have any edits or anything to the movie when she saw it for the first time. So, yeah, I think... Uh, Cooper is definitely uh, definitely a legend. Um, I think I think you had uh, said that it came out only a year after he had passed. Right. And so right, it's yeah. an interesting movie, similar to some other movie. I can't think of any other right now, but some you know like like Titanic or something, where you know what's going to happen as you're watching the movie, and so uh, actually having the plot spoiled for you because it was real life makes you pay attention to different things more. So the second that he met his wife, Mary and I both knew that 
he was going to die. And so it, it gave a lot more weight to their interactions and it gave some sweetness to their interactions and then a lot of sorrow to it as it went on because we all knew what was going to happen. Were you familiar with uh, the speech he gave at the end? Had you heard that before? I had only ever heard the last uh, the last several lines. I didn't know that he went around to each individual group and thanked them and then had the luckiest man. So actually I told Mary, okay, stop, stop talking. This is, this is the big speech. And then as he was giving it, I was like, I hope I didn't just tell my wife to shut up when um, it wasn't the real speech. And then of course at the very end, he, he finished with that. Um, but no, it was, yeah, I mean, it, there may or may not have been tears coming out of each member of our household. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, I've heard this speech a million times, but when you put it in the context of of him knowing that he's going to die and yet still sort of the humility and um, I don't even know the, the right word to describe it, just the perseverance to, to not throw a pity party or not to kind of um, reclude himself, but to, to refer to himself as the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Um, is I, it's, I wasn't crying, but I was I was near um, near crying. Um, yeah. Other than and that, I think the, you guys have talked about before that his um, his disease kind of set in in a similar way that it was just kind of he'd fall off things and have trouble walking and swinging and even watching that was difficult knowing um, yeah how great he was. Um, other than the the speech at the end, did you have any other uh, you know, kind of favorite? favorite moments or uh, memorable moments from the movie? I think if I had been watching it by myself, I would have uh, been a little bit less uh, sweet on the romance side, but watching it next to my wife, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, there were just really sweet moments with um, Lou Gehrig and his wife um, of just kind of their romance and the way they lived together. And it was, it was just, it was, it was really neat um, to see that human side of him, um, which makes sense why a Babe Ruth would be kind of, and, and other reporters would be down on this guy who's just, boring and plain and genuinely loves his wife and doesn't get into trouble and just does keeps his nose clean, which is, uh, you know, I, I, I somewhat identify with myself. I've always been that, that boring guy, but yeah, <laughs> I, I generally, uh, really like the movie. Like I said, it was, it was my favorite that we watched this year. I will say the one weird element is the, the journalist. And I, I don't even know if we know his name in the movie that is sort of like Garrick's right hand man from the get go, like sort of has, um, uh, I mean, it was almost more than a friendship in some ways. Like, you know, when, when he but found out he was dead, Jackie he Robinson, found out before. Didn't Jackie Robinson have one of those guys, too? I feel like, because yeah. I think you and I watched 42 together, and it was, I wonder if it was just a, a, some things from that era. Yeah, maybe you, you sort of attached yourself to a player. But, um, yeah, not, I guess the having taken a few journalism classes in college, right, that's probably not the greatest setup, but a different time and maybe a different era for journalism. It sounds like a future blog post for Peter, you know, the personal <laughs> reporter, you know, all the, the biggest names in history. Maybe that, that's our path to success. We need to, like, just attach ourselves to a, an up-and-coming player. You already missed Chris um, Ryan, or Peter did, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, last question. Uh, you mentioned the League of Their Own um, that, that we watched together last year. Uh Comparing the two, do you like this one more or less, or do you, do you have a new favorite baseball movie? No, I wouldn't say this is a new favorite. They're just really different. I think if I was looking for a classic baseball movie, I would say, as far as, like, cinematic classics with Casablanca, Ben-Hur, and all those, I would say this is the best, and this is the only one I've really seen, and by far 
I, I can imagine surpassing almost any other one of that era. Um, but yeah, I mean, League of Their Own is just, it's a very different movie. Um, 90s, conflicted characters. This is just much more straightforward, but also a sports biopic. And I think that that's, that's a really different thing than League of Their Own. And really mm-hmm. than most other baseball movies, except, except for uh, 42 that I've seen. Yeah. Well, uh, Peter and I appreciate you uh, giving us uh, some time on a, a Saturday morning to discuss and also a couple hours yeah. during a weeknight to watch. Um, appreciate uh, you listening to the podcast. And um, Yeah, any uh, any predictions for, for the Cubs the rest of the year you want to get out? Uh, no predictions. I hope when they're going to hang on. We'll see in the series. Uh, we can another drop to the um, Brewers last night. One more thought on the movie that I wanted to share was sure. um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated that we chose this movie because my uh, personal vendetta and hatred against the Yankees has been uh, minimized a little bit. I have a little bit of sympathy now for, for the Yankees, at least specifically Lou Gehrig. So um, maybe I'll just be like, like, you know, growing up in Chicago where I, I hated the Packers, but I knew, I knew that Brett Favre was a big deal and I actually respected him. Maybe I'll have to hate the Yankees but respect Lou Gehrig now. So. Yeah. Yeah, we should have watched, like, there's a bunch of movies that would have intensified the hatred, like being Yankees or even like 61 when you see uh, the Yankees dominating set records. Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks anyway, for jumping thanks for on. Me. Yeah, and I uh, hope you have a, uh, a great weekend. Sounds good. You too. Thanks, Paul. I have been walking on ball fields for 16 years, and I've never received anything but kindness and encouragement from you fans. I have had the great honor to have played with these great veteran ball players on my left, Murderer's Row, our championship team of 1927, I have had the further honor of living with and playing with these men on my right, the Bronx Bombers, the Yankees of today. I have been given fame and undeserved praise by the boys up there behind the wire in the press box. I have worked under the two greatest managers of all time, Miller Huggins and Joe McCarthy. I have a mother and father who fought to give me health and a solid background. I have a wife, a companion for life, who has shown me more courage than I ever knew. People all say that I've had a bad break, but today, today I consider myself 
the luckiest man on the face of the earth. All right, this week's guest on the podcast is actor Jeff Corbett. He played the role of Sammy Bodine in Talent for the Game, a movie that we watched for the first time a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jeff, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. All right, so we we really appreciate your time and have a lot of uh, questions for you. This was our first time watching uh, Talent for the Game. It came out, uh, you know, 25, 26 years ago now. What's your memory of that movie? How do you look back on on being in a baseball movie? Um, well, first of all, thanks for watching it because I can always use the residual checks. <laughs> um, the memories are all wonderful except for the final uh, result. Um, but I, I got that film. It was very weird. I was out in, I, in L.A. It was my second year here. I would come out for pilot season. I was living primarily in New York in those days. Okay. But we would come out when there was a delineated television season, unlike today where, you know, it's, there isn't, um, mm-hmm. or not nearly as much. But so, so I was out here, and my New York agent would come out for pilot season, and he was a wonderful, tremendous agent. He unfortunately passed away from AIDS a year or two after I did tell for the game. Um, and he, he didn't submit me for it, and they were seeing everybody, and I didn't know about it. And I had played one game of softball ever <laughs> in New York, in New York. And I have not played a lot of softball. I'm a fan of the game. Um, I had played one game on, in, in New York with, with my agent's assistant. So we went back after pilot season to New York. I hadn't been seen for the film. They had literally seen every actor, uh, you know, in, in town. And many of whom were, could act, none of whom could throw. Hmm. And so we were back in New York. I guess my the assistant said to my agent, "What they didn't like Corbett," and he said, "I didn't submit him." And he said, "Are you nuts?" And he said, "Why? Can he play?" And he goes, "Oh my!" Because I was I played this one softball game, and I happened to have, have had a really good day, and I made one catch that I still think back on. Like that was a damn good catch. <laughs> I was flying, and the assistant said, "Get him in! Get him in immediately!" So. I went uh, at like 3.30 in the afternoon, and they were smart. When By the time they got to New York to cast, they, had, they, they changed the casting uh, strategy, and they were seeing if people could pitch first, mm-hmm. which was smart. And if you're casting a sports movie, I highly suggest anybody who's going to do that. Because mm-hmm. nothing ruins a sports movie like actors who can't play the game. Mm-hmm. And... You know, and as kids, my brothers and I would always be like, look at this, you know, uh, the Jimmy Pearsall story. It's like, Jesus Christ, Anthony Hopkins can't eat. I'm not Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Perkins can't even get a run, let alone throw. 
so anyway, they had me throw, and I remember there was a, an actor of note in front of me in line, and I had my glove, and I had been throwing a ton that spring. I would go up to Connecticut, where I was from, leave New York, get out of the heat. In a few days a week, I'd go up to my parents' home in Connecticut, and the guy who lived across the street was an athlete, and he was a buddy. Uh, he was older. He had kids, uh, and, and we would throw, and I was throwing gas. And I remember even thinking, like, geez, I wish I had had this stuff in high school. I'd have been, I'd have gotten a full ride. <laughs> so I went to Central Park, and they had a Dodgers, an ex-Dodger, um, overseeing the thing, and uh, and Eddie Olmos's assistant was catching. And I saw the guy in front of me throw, and I went, if this is my competition, this is my movie. And I had done very little up till then, a soap opera and a guest spot on a CBS show. That was it, hmm. in some plays. Um, and the guy threw in front of me, and I was like, okay. So I stepped up, and I said, well, I'm going to egg this one. I'm going to give him the, the fastball sign, you know, the, with the glove hand. He, you know, yep. like when pitchers are warming up, yep. here comes a fastball. And I threw, and I lit it up. And I was probably, you know, mid to high 80s. And the catcher, his glove popped, and I hit the spot. And I remember he turned and looked at the Dodger, and I said, let it rip. So I said, here's another fastball, you know, getting the sign, and threw and just hit the spot. And he said, Jesus, the catcher, like, took his glove off. And, and then I said, oh, I had to a slider or something. And they went, come here, where'd you play? And all this. And then, uh, next day I read with Eddie Olmos in the hotel. And the director, Bob Young, Robert M. Young, and the casting director, and uh, Mindy Marin. And I went to work as a waiter. Got a call at about 9 o'clock that night or something, and it was Mindy Marin. And she said, Corbett, you're going to L.A. tomorrow to read for the executives at Paramount. Mm. So I was like, holy shit. And I literally went out up onto the floor of the restaurant and said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I quit, and um, I took my – you know, my friend Michael will be handling this from now on. It's cafeteria service, and I called a few buddies. The words went on. I had Kevin Spacey, and all my buddies were down at the bar within, like, 15 minutes. And mind you, I hadn't been cast in the movie. I was just merely going to read in L.A. for it, but I thought, nobody, nobody is getting this movie but me. And I came out, and I read, and they, I was a little – well, I was unknown. And they were, the Paramount executives were a little bit tentative. And uh, I read it the one on a Friday night, and then they had me read on a Saturday at, at uh, the producer's house. And then they said, can you leave the room in, for a few minutes while we talk? And I did, and I came back, and the Paramount execs said, uh, we really want you to do this movie. And like the wise-ass I am, I said, well, that's great, guys. But while I was waiting out on the curb, I got another movie offer, so I'm going to have to decline. Hmm. And they went, what? And I said, no, I'm just messing. I'm just <laughs> and and they gave me the role, and I flew back. And it ended up being the most fun I've ever had on a project in my life. I mean, we flew to Idaho and eastern Washington, and then I got to come back here and pitch at Dodger Stadium. Even before hmm. we left to go sh start shooting, I was out here for three weeks, and we were rehearsing and wardrobe stuff and whatever. And I had carte blanche to the Dodgers, to Dodger Stadium. Hmm. I would just show up at the players' entrance with wow. this, the original guy who had seen me in Central Park. And we would just, hey, and we'd walk in and I'd sit right behind. There was an old guy, he's actually in the movie, Mike Brito, 
I don't know if he's in the Dodgers organization anymore or not. If he is, he's got the 80s. Hmm. But he was the guy, if you ever watch games from the 70s and 80s, Mike Brito would sit, sit right behind the um, plate in the front row with a jugs gun and write down what the velocity of each pitch. And we would sit right next to Mike Brito. And I was like, I don't care. This is the greater, you know, if you're a fan of the game, it's like, you really got, and I got to go and hit in the cages under, you know, there's cages underneath the stadium. And I, I mean, I wasn't even going to hit in the movie. <laughs> I was, I was taking swings like, okay, Kirk Gibson is, is out. Yeah. yeah. Let that kid get in there. And I, you know, it was, it was amazing. That's and great. so looking, and we just had so much fun shooting. It was a great cast that got along well. You know, the, the original script was better than what got, shot sadly hmm. um they tweaked it a little bit and i don't think they necessarily helped it and then paramount fired all the upper level people in the middle of shooting and i remember one day going out to the get in the van to go to set and eddie almost was with lorraine bracco and they were both looking rather sad or whatever and i said oh, what's going on and they said it's not good and they said what and they said all the brass at paramount got fired and i so, and they said, no, if you're in, if your movie's in production, it doesn't. You know, they're not going to get behind it because it's not their movie. And, mm. and so I was like, oh, so that we we I think fell victim a little bit to that. But uh, getting to pitch in in Dodger Stadium, even though it was the supposed to be the angel, you know, yep. the Angels, Dodgers wouldn't let us use their. It was still owned by they were still owned by the O'Malley's at the time, and mm. uh, the O'Malley's would said no, we would never be sold, and we would you know like only only the Badgers. They're such a aw shucks kind of organization, mm-hmm. um, and so we ended up being the Angels in Dodger Stadium, which every baseball fan goes, that's not Angel Stadium. <laughs> Yeah, that's a thrill to, I mean, even if you, the only thing you got to do from the movie was to pitch in Dodger Stadium and to, Dude, to walk around. and I blew my dad out. My dad had been, my dad was a good second baseman, but got, his career got um, shanghaied by World War II. And I said, you know, my dad, I mean, we would go to the ballpark and I knew he never spoke of it, but I knew it killed him. And he had a couple buddies. One of our, his good friends was a, a relief pitcher for the Yankees by the name of Steve Hamilton big, tall guy, wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. And we would go down, we went to the Yankee Stadium. A lot of my parents were teachers, so we had to summer off and would go down to the stadium. And I know deep down it had to hurt my dad a little bit. Like, what if, if, if the war hadn't come, would I have gotten the shot? And he was good. My dad, I saw my dad hit only once. It's a great story I won't tell, but he, he uncorked on a fastball. I was like, holy Christ. Mm-hmm. And he was a little guy, five, five and eight. But he could, he, you know, and I, so anyway, I flew my dad out and to, to watch me pitch in Dodger Stadium, the least likely of his three boys to ever pitch in Dodger Stadium. I had a brother who was dynamite and through high 90s. And it's like, well, who got to the show, Dad? Maybe not the show, but a show <laughs> at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. And, I, and I also remember my dad, I'll never forget it. I said, I was standing with Lorraine Baracco, and I said, watch the old man, watch my old man. She said, what? I said, watch him when he steps on the field the first time. And he did, and he took, put his foot down, and it, I'm going to cry. Mm. And he did a little crow hop. Mm. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. oh, there he is, he's there, he made it. 
did it. And he just sort of did his sort of run out to them. It's like, you know, it felt just so great. Like, that's the only time my dad ever walked on a mm. big league field, and it was because of me. Mm. Yeah, it's, that's amazing. Uh, what? Yeah. So you you threw your thinking maybe in the eighties. Uh, did you have a history of playing like in high school or or what was your history? Yeah, I baseball? played in high school, but I was tiny. I was I didn't grow until college, and I'm still not huge, but I'm five ten. But I was tiny when I graduated from high school. I was like five six, and and tiny. And then in college, like in one year, I you know I grew, and then I got really fast. I raced the, the guy who was the, the premier athlete in our class and, and one of my dear friends and good ball player and I raced him when I was 22 and he was on you know, full ride at University of Connecticut for football and I smoked him hmm. smoked him and he said that's an anomaly let's do it again and I raced me with boom and I beat him and he said you're faster than me now that's insane and I just and I love the game so I just always stayed at it and so by the time I got that I was in my late 20s playing a 18 year old and um so by the time I, I was i was throwing all the time and stayed in shape and it just sort of was kismet it was meant to be and uh, i just you know, I wish the movie could have done better but all in all we had a blast mm-hmm. yeah, well, and i did all my pitching there too yeah, well, that's that my next question. So, in the in the movie, we were struck. Your your motion looks really smooth, especially compared to other baseball movies. You go over the head, you know, very natural leg kick. Did you have kind of like complete say over how your motion was, or did did they try to tweak it to make it look a certain um, way? Um, I used to short arm it a little bit, and Kenny Madlock, who was the guy, the Dodgers guy, and Kenny's been in damn near every baseball movie that's ever been made. He shows up in talent for the game. He's in Moneyball. Hmm. And he's, if you watch any commercial with Ken, he's either the umpire or the coach or whatever. He's made an incredible career for himself. Um, Kenny helped me with, with my delivery a little bit. Um, but yeah, he did. He actually showed me a thing. I went on to coach at a private school here for 10 years and I would show some of the things he taught me. Hmm. Just you know, just sort of put the put more of the pressure on your body than than your arm. But I was my it's like, I, and I also knew like a high leg kick is going to be a little more cinematic hmm. than you know slide step. Not I don't even know if a whole lot of guys were doing slide steps in 1990. Probably you know, and I could see where the, the camera was and go like, okay, this will look better if if, if I do this. So. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, are you a fan of a particular team? I'm guessing it's not the Angels because yeah, you, you I'm a grew die, up. Yeah, I'm a diehard, diehard New York Yankees fan. I was a, I was a Yankees fan when they, when I was real little, and Steve, my father's friend, was playing for the Yankees, and you know, it was Mickey and all those guys. And then I saw Pete Rose his not his rookie season. My brothers had gone the rookie year at Crosley Field. I went the last year of Crosley Field, which was probably sixty eight, sixty nine, and. Um, I, and I saw Pete Rose. So I think it was probably a second year. And I fell. I was just like, that guy's my kind. He's little like me. He's tenacious. He sprints to first on walks. <laughs> and that's when I became a Cincinnati Red fan. And then they got really good. And then I went to school for one semester in Kentucky. And most of these guys were Cincinnati Red fans that I went to school. With. And the Yankees had made the World Series against the Dodgers that year. 
And I'm like, how can you root for the Dodgers? They're, they're from LA. They're the Dodgers. What? And these guys, not only did they root against the Yankees, they hated New York. And, and in those days, it was really easy to hate not just the Yankees, but New York. It was a city that was dirty, crime-ridden, uh, broke. And, and I just took such umbrage with that, you hillbillies. Ah, screw the Reds, Cincinnati. I am not rooting for your ever rooting for your team. Hmm. And I went back to being a Yankee fan and have been since '78. And and I you know still watch them and follow the the game religiously. Yeah, well they'll they'll be back in the playoffs uh, this year. That should be a fun fun time. Yeah, they should they should. Long as the Dodgers don't. I just want I I am a vocal anti Dodger guy out here in L.A. <laughs> and they've had such a had such an amazing season that I would just love to see them fall on their face well, again in the postseason. You've probably enjoyed the last couple of weeks then. They haven't won It's more been than a beautiful. Game. It's been <laughs> it's it's been a it's been a joy. It's been a joy to watch them all. And not only that, they turn there's such fair fair weather fans out here. Where are you right now? You're in the Midwest, right? Uh, Illinois, yep. Yeah, I mean you watch you watch Cubs fans. I mean and and, and Cardinals fans. That Cardinals have over the years obviously had more to cheer about than Cubs fans. But even <laughs> Indian fans, they were there. They yep. there's just it, there's a loyalty. We're here. I mean, look at Kirk Gibson's home run in the World Series in eighty eight. You you see brake lights in the parking lot. Hmm. You know, they're leaving the World Series. Like, really guys? You're beating the traffic? Like uh, I just it it so annoys me the the average Dodger fan. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have a Sammy Bodine jersey or hat? I feel like that would be a cool keepsake from a movie. I have the hat. I had. I think I. Ha- I oh I. Yeah, I, I had a bunch. Of, I had a few things. Um, and over the years, I sort of I don't know what happened to a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, I kept the hat, and I go to when the Yankees are in town. I'll go down to Anaheim. It would, damn near every time I'm there, as I'm walking through, someone will say, Sammy Bodine! <laughs> and my kids, my kids are always, they love that. Yeah. <laughs> they love that. That's great. But I, I, I also, one of the great things from that, and I, I, this is the first time I've ever told this, in, I used to raid the wardrobe <laughs> trailer, and I had buddies who were diehard fans all across the country from the colleges and stuff. So, in the game, we're playing Kansas City, so a lot of guys got Kansas City jerseys. Mm. Uh, a lot of guys got, got <laughs> Angels jerseys. My buddies were like, dude, this is great. The hats, jerseys, whatever. Like, I don't even like the Royals, but I'll take one of their jerseys. <laughs> and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Oh, he also got some great gloves, one of which got stolen, but I still have an American-made Wilson A2000 nice. that I still use. And that's a, that's a nice glove still. Yeah. Yeah, that's a thrill. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, like scene from the movie uh, that that you remember um, fondly? Yeah, I do, because it's a great memory. There's a there was a guy named Murphy Sua, and he was a backup catcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, and Murphy was uh, Samoan, I think, and great guy, wonderful, wonderful guy. And it's the scene where I'm trying out for the team, and I'm nervous, and mm-hmm. they're and he, he played a character, I think his name was Joe Bortner. And so we were shooting that, that scene. The camera was set up where the catcher would be. And so they had plexiglass and the camera at, like, waist high. 
And the, the thing was for me to groove a fastball, Murphy to turn on it and hit it to left field. And I will never forget this. I, I said, Murph, show me where your wheelhouse is. And he sticks the bat there. And I'm like, okay. So it takes me like seven pitches to throw a fastball right where you want it. Oh, but first Murphy said, where do you want it to land? To, to Bob Young, the director. Where do you want it? And I'm like, screw you. Where do you want it to land? You know, try to hit my stuff. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, so they send a PA, a, you know, assistant, out to left field in the bleachers at Dodger Stadium. Kid takes the golf cart out there, then they hide the golf cart in the bullpen. He, the kid's out there, and he, he says, you see it? Yeah, yeah, got it, got it. That's where we want it. The kid's got a walkie-talkie move. Four seats over to the left. Three up there. That's where we want you to hit the ball, Murphy. And I'm literally going like, this is insane. And then the kid lays down so you can't see him. It takes me seven pitches, and I groove like an 88-mile-an-hour fastball to Murphy. He turns on it and hits it about 35 feet from where he said it would land. I'm like, wow. Then he goes, what? He goes, uh, I said, you want another one? And he goes, yeah. And they said, keep the camera rolling. Next pitch, I, perfect, waist high. This guy put it like four or five seats from where he said. And, wow. I, and they yell, cut. And, I, and the place goes crazy. And I said, Murph, how can you do that? And he turned to me and he said, Corbett, can you read Shakespeare? And I said, yeah. He goes, I can't. That's all I can do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, that's cool. Uh, one scene we watched with, with uh, one of our listeners, uh, David, and he, he, his question was uh, for you, what was it like? And this could have not been you too, but uh, there's a scene uh, when you're introduced as the uh, getting signed with the angels, uh, you get lowered from the rafters, uh, you know, oh, to imitate yeah. an angel, kind of over the top introduction, press conference. Uh, was that you getting lowered? And uh, I guess just yeah, what was that? Yeah. What was that whole scene like? That was a really funny day. There was a lot going on. We were at this. That's an actual home in only in Los Angeles. I mean, it was just massive. It's like the, the palace at Versailles. Incredibly gaudy ornateness. Mm-hmm. And we were shooting there and it was it was a long day. We were all having fun. And what I remember the most about that is I don't know who the actress is, but the woman whom I dance with and I sort of put my chest, my chin on her chest yep. with this absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous woman as seen in the film. But she was sort of a, a little amorous, sort of letting it be known, like, you know, if you want to hit the bullpen with me, um, <laughs> I, now that I might have all been, I might have been uh, inferring that, but, <laughs> and so, when, and I was so intimidated, I was still pretty shy, and so when I came down from the rafters and the blowing smoke, and I'm looking petrified. Part of that is because this woman petrified me. <laughs> and, and it was just such a great, great day. There were tons of, tons of fun friends from, of the other actors on sets, a lot of whom were on television shows. And it was just so silly and, and great. And I, yeah, I just remembered floating down <laughs> and then, we would have to do it a few times and they would just raise me up. And while they're resetting lights and whatever, I just remember dangling, dangling. 
and going, this is a great way to make a living. Mm. That was also the, that was the same day too, where, um, where Harvey Keitel, who was then married to Lorraine Bracco, showed up on the set. And I thought, this is a really great way to make a living. <laughs> Get to meet your favorite celebrities. That is probably a scene you will never, ever forget, getting lowered from the rafters as, was, as an angel. It was a little weird. I've never, <laughs> I've never been ready. I've been, I've been shot and had the thing pull you back. Yeah. But never... Never left, never left my feet again. Uh, just a couple more questions. Uh, next one, uh, you know, you're a, a baseball fan. Uh, you did this baseball movie. Do you have a specific baseball movie that's your favorite? Like when, when people ask about that, is there one that uh, pops out? You, you know, yeah, probably Field of Dreams, you know, which is is a baseball movie, but, you know, it also has a, you know, the stories beyond baseball but it to me the message of of it is you know beautiful and it's yeah. it, it you know when people talk about baseball being as my wife oh it's so boring you just don't know the game yep you know if you if you think baseball is boring you're clearly not paying attention and i have my my oldest daughter my middle child she went to um she went to Angels Stadium with me this past spring when the Yankees were in town, and I was so overjoyed. And she's fallen in love with the game, mm-hmm. and and like paid attention to each pitch. And I was like, yes, yes, I've done my job here as a parent. I can die. <laughs> One of my three kids has this. So probably Field of Dreams. Um, I like Eight Men Out. Were you a fan of Moneyball? Uh, Major League. I was a fan of Moneyball. My wife was sort of, you know, okay. And I didn't, I didn't love it, but I like, yeah, I liked it a lot. And of course, I knew the, you know, knew the story, read the book. Yeah. And I, 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 I completely understand using all the metrics and stuff, but metrics don't always add uh, chemistry into the. Thing and I, to me, my favorite teams are always, regardless of the sport, but certainly in baseball, the teams that you know they're they're a cohesive unit and uh, not just not just a collection of superstars. And quite frankly, usually, especially in baseball, as the Yankees have proven over the last 15 years, just getting the highest marquee players doesn't guarantee you success mm-hmm. in the Yankees. Switched from their um, their model that won them all the championships in the '90s with homegrown talent and young, relatively unknown guys. Luckily, this year they've they've sort of gone back to it and had great, much greater success than anybody thought. Greater success than I thought they were going to have this year. Yeah, they're set up so, well for the future too. They got a lot of good prospects. Yeah, and I, you know, it's just. Regardless of it, I, I just like watching guys. Well, I like watching players who I like. Yeah, <laughs> who are, you know, Derek Jeter was a guy who, you, who regardless of who you rooted for, you, you generally didn't have anybody go, wow, what a, you know, what an asshole or what a jerk. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you didn't hear that too much. You might not have liked the, the team, but yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I still like, uh, I still like Major League. It still makes me laugh. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then when they're like I said, when they're bad, when when sports movies are bad, 
that may be one of the worst genres for bad movies because a bad sports movie can have a stench like no other yep. genre. Yep. All right. Uh, last question. Uh, since then, do you have a favorite uh, movie or role that you've played or been in? I know you had a lot of fun on this set, but I'm um, uh, just curious to know yeah, what your favorite, personal favorite is. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite experience is, was I did, a, a, a oddly enough, a radio play years ago. Hmm. And for one week, I was with, it was like being with the 27 Yankees of character actors. So it was Ed Asner. Charles Durning, Harold Gould, I mean, uh, Tyne Daly. It was just it was incredible. That was the most, and they were Harris Ewan, all these wonderful character actors who who just had chops. And that was a week, and I was this young kid, uh, relatively in comparison to them. Mm-hmm. That was a great thing. Um, but, you know, I do a lot of television, and a lot of the television leaves you just at the end of the day, un, uninspired. Some of the HBO stuff that I've done, I like because you get to, you get to, they're often better written. So the newsroom, uh, mm-hmm. Six Feet Under. Fraser was fun to do just to work with, with those guys. Um, yeah, you know, and then of course there's always, you know, I'm still a, I'm still a red-blooded American male, and whenever you can sometimes work with some starlets <laughs> who you just go, oh, my God. Yep. You know, sitting down with Heather Locklear on Spin City, go, you know, and, and having lunch that day with Sarah Fawcett, that doesn't suck. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You've had a, you've had a fun, uh, fun career all the way from baseball to, to all these other yeah, movies and actors. I, I'd love to do... It's a real sadness. It's like I'm never going to be in a sports movie again where I'm the athlete. And I still, you know, I still swim a few days a week. I still run. I still throw. Up until two years ago, I was still coaching at a school. And but it's like, wow, I, you know, there's just nothing like. Well, yeah, there is. There's actually playing for the professional. <laughs> but as close to that as you can get is playing make believe. In a sports movie, you, you know, it, it leaves you just going, this, it, it must be, I can't even imagine what it must be like to, to be the actual, to do the actual thing. Because, you know, I threw, when we were doing Tom for the game, one night they had, I think, 10,000 extras, one of which was my dad. And, uh, and coming out of the dugout where they're booing me. <laughs> and I said, it must be wild to be the, the opposing player, or even worse, the home player, and getting just jacked by the home crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's it's fun, and I, I, I it was I, I I've never I don't think I've ever had a greater three or four month period in my life than doing that that film. Yeah, well, we uh, we really enjoyed it. We hadn't seen it before but uh it really took took us back to you know 90s baseball uh kind of pop culture that that sort of uh time period so we uh we appreciate it and appreciate you taking time for us i'm glad you i'm glad you watched it and i'm glad you liked it my pleasure well thanks to jeff again for the uh, great interview some great insights there uh also thanks to david 
for sitting in for Paul this week on the podcast. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, it was, it was great to have you in studio. Uh, anything you'd like to say to the listeners? Nope. Just remember <laughs> to keep a foot in the box. Uh, Illinois prediction for this evening. We're recording this before the Illinois game on Saturday. But the big, the big uh, fighting line I, yeah. Western Kentucky Hilltopper. Big underdogs. Throw down. Uh, let's record. We'll record two versions of this and then just whatever happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yep. All right. Uh, I think Illinois is going to win big. I think it'll be a great win and it's going to be great for the program. Uh, Levy's back. 100% confidence. Building Illinois that, victory building tonight. Building the culture. Building the culture. Keep an eye on the Illini. All right. And then for this, the other one. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough game. Uh, Western Kentucky has some talent, so I don't know. They might have too much for us at this point. We're a young team, so I think it's tough to pick the Illini yeah. here tonight. Well, what were fans expecting? You know, yeah, I mean, you know Qubit gives us gives Lovey a bad roster. You need at least three years to rebuild it. Yeah, I think. I mean, we're so young at so many positions. So Dudak tore his ACL again. I mean, yeah, it's just rough. It's, it, was, it was yeah, it's it's bad. So all right. Well, that was fighting Illini predictions. Yep. yep. <laughs> well, I, Paul will be back next week, hopefully. Hmm. I don't really know his schedule, but he always gives me a few hours notice before he can't record, so I appreciate that. Best wishes to him, dad sitting. Yeah, so Kate, Kate is vacationing in uh, in Michigan this week. Mm. I think it was some sort of gift, wedding anniversary or mm. Christmas or birthday gift to Kate. She's she's traveling with a friend in Michigan. Oh, okay. So uh, shout out to Kate. I don't think there's anything else. You can, uh, you can follow our podcast many different ways including the website, afootinthebox.com. You can email us, afootinthebox at gmail.com. You can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud, and iTunes. Uh, I think you can probably just pop in our podcast to your Apple Watch. Maybe. I'm sure you can listen. Just don't get caught. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, I think that does it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, David, thanks for joining us. And uh, Paul, hope you had a good... Uh, weekend. Reminder to keep a foot in the box. Until next week. Mm-hmm.